Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I want to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. And I also want to thank you for partnering with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. There's always something new and exciting happening here at Ren, so please follow us on social media. You can find us by searching Renaissance Decatur. And you can also connect with us by visiting our website, rendecatur.org. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Uh, good morning. My name is Jack, and I'm the youth director here uh, at Renaissance. And we have a lot to get through today, so I want to ask a question and then kind of lead into a story. Have you ever had a time where you royally missed something? Like, it's so bad that you're almost blind to it. And now if you're married, don't look at your spouse. I know my wife is looking at me right now because it happens every day, but I'd love to share with you a story. Uh, I am a uh, freshman. Uh, it is about uh, a month and a half before our uh, spring semester ends. And now I don't know if you've ever been to private Christian college before. I went to one to be a youth pastor, um, which is why I'm the youth director. Um, but there's a culture to it that's very odd and very interesting that if you've never been around a private Christian college, you might miss. And uh, here's what you need to know. Uh, we have an orientation program called Launch. And what happens when you go to Launch is uh, everybody that's single looks around and finds Launch love. And it's this beautiful, wonderful thing that everybody goes uh, and loves each other, which is very odd. And they all start dating and coupling off. And if you start dating each other with launch love, you might get this mystical, this wonderful, this fantastic ring by spring, if you know what I mean. So what happens is you end up, see, he knows, he knows. Uh, so what happens is you end up getting married your freshman year. And that wasn't me. And now, uh, I hope my college and mother does not listen to this podcast. Uh, I wasn't dating anybody because I was too busy uh, climbing our buildings. Weird, don't ask. I was climbing our buildings uh, and breaking into our gym to play floor hockey in the middle of the night. So that's what I was up to as opposed to um, dating anybody. But what happens uh, kind of with the context going back is what, uh, what is happening? It is about a month and a half before the spring semester ends. And uh, I'm sitting down and there's this girl that is looking at me. She's one of my friends, one of my classmates. And now I want to have this person go unnamed. So I tried to pick a name that I don't think anybody here has nor knows. I went with Matilda. Um, if you have a great aunt Matilda, I'm sorry. Uh, if your name is Matilda, let's go for it. It'll be great. So uh, what's happening is I'm sitting in class and we're in a U and Matilda is staring at me. And uh, I kind of catch it, so I look back at her, and then she looks away, but she's really smart. Uh, so what happens is I go, huh, maybe she's like really like a deep in thought. If I stare at her, maybe I'll get smart too. So she stares at me, and I look back, and I stare at her. And she keeps looking away, which is a little weird. I don't really know what happens. But what happens is a class or two later, she sits next to me, and Matilda is the nicest person I've ever met. We're sitting there, and she's like, tell me about you and about what you like to do in your family. And I'm like, look at you go, Matilda. Like, you're the nicest person in the world. Like, this is, like, this is a really nice time. And what happens uh, a class or two later uh, is we uh, get paired off for presentation. So all my friends are getting paired off, and Matilda looks at me and goes, will you be my partner. And I go, well, I'm busy climbing buildings and not studying. I would love to be your partner. This would be amazing. Maybe I'll get an A. This is wonderful. And she goes, okay, so let's study. Uh, let's go to Starbucks and we'll go for a while. So uh, Matilda picks me up in her car and uh, you would think you would go to like the closest Starbucks, right? But we drive by that one and then another one and then another one. And we drive to a Starbucks about 30 minutes away. And I'm like, Matilda, must be the smartest person in the world. She's not even opening a book. She's just asking me all these questions about my life. I'm like, look at you go, Matilda, you're so kind. You're so nice. And I made a mistake though, if I could be honest in this one moment. What happens is I pay for her coffee. 
okay? This is the one mistake I make. This is the one mistake out of this whole entire thing. I'll be humble and say, this is the one mistake I made. So I buy her coffee and she's so nice and so kind. It's weird. Her friends out of nowhere become my friends. And I don't think that they were the nicest friends in the world to Matilda because whenever she wasn't there, they'd be like, so what do you think of Matilda? This is another mistake I made. If you come to me right now and you go, Jack, you, uh, you are on staff here at uh, Renaissance. Uh, do you like your coworkers? I'd go, yeah, I like them because, you know, Joe's not bad, Jeff's not bad. No one's really bad here. I'd go, yeah, I like them. So when they go, do you like Matilda? I go, yeah, I like her. She's fun. And they would giggle and kind of run off. And then what happens? Okay, this is, okay. <laughs> The point is I missed it. I had no idea. So what happens is she calls me uh, maybe about a week or two later. So we're getting close to that presentation. What happens is she goes, hey, my parents are coming into town. You should go out to dinner with me and a few friends. And I go, free meal. I'm a college student. Let's go. So I go to get my free meal. And what happens is I learn something. And let me tell you who's at this meal. Her mom, her dad, Matilda, Matilda's older sister, who does not go to our college, her roommate, and me. And do you know what I think this whole entire meal? Matilda has the nicest dad in the whole entire world. I'm sitting there, I'm like, I would be friends with Matilda's dad. Like, I, like he's like, tell me about, like, he called me son a lot. I don't know. Maybe he was from like the South or something. He was, I don't know. He just did that thing. He, he was like, come over here, son. And he asked me all these questions about like, like uh, why I wanted to be a, a pastor and like my parents and uh, what I, you know, what I did with his daughter. And I was like, well, we study a lot. You know, that's, that's kind of what we do. And he's like, well, like anything else. And I go, well, you, yeah, it's kind of all we do. And her mom was really nice. At one point I was like, all he's done is ask me questions. Does he want to spend time with Matilda? Like, geez, dude. But we leave and he says something. He pays everybody's meal and he says something which tips me off to something that I have not recognized so far. <laughs> tips me off. He, he does, he does, and, and dad's in the room. You've all done this before. I've watched you with all my youth group students. When he wants to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, he goes, come here. And he does like the big arm around and like, like drags you around. And he comes over and he goes, you know, I had such a great time meeting you. I would love it if you dated my daughter. And I go, oh. And I'm caught off guard. And I go, that, great. Cool. And then her mom gives me a big hug. And then her sister says something, which is also a little bit of a red flag. She just walks up and she goes, I'm watching you. And I go, oh, once again, caught off guard, oblivious. I go, oh, are you coming to our school now? And she just looks at me like I have like 19 heads and just like, and walks off and that's all I know. And Matilda's like beaming and I'm like, well, like I have to like, like go and do something. Like let's, let's study later. Like let's do it for this presentation. And uh, what happens is about three days later, Matilda disappears. She's gone. I try calling her. I try texting her. I don't see her in the cafeteria. It's crazy. And her friends are, are, were like being rude to me out of nowhere. Like I went to use the bathroom. Okay. And this, this is a thing I've gotten better. I was a freshman in college. I'm sorry. I use the bathroom and I don't wash my hands. I walk out and Matilda, Matilda's friends are like, how could you? And I was like, dang, how did you know? And then they all left. I was like, oh my gosh, this is nuts. And then I see Matilda later and I run up to her and I'm like, hey, what have you been doing? Why have you been like disappearing? And with tears in her eyes, she goes, I thought you loved me and we were gonna get married. I know. I was there and I'm sitting there and uh, I'm so shocked by this, having no clue that in my shock, I go, what? No, gross, what? 
cries and just walks away. Never talked to her again other than for our presentation. She hands me the outline, points to the pages I have, and then walks away. It was awful, but how, how on earth did I miss all of it? Like, it's one of those things that like, I, like I'm shocked by. All my friends are like, dude, we thought you liked her. Like, are you joking? Are you kidding? Um, but but here, here's why I share all of that story. When I read the passage uh, that we have today, I miss it in the same exact way. From my perspective, from the way that uh, I view and read this passage, I literally can't see it. Um, it's, it's almost like I'm blind to it. So what I want to do is I want to uh, read it and then pray for us. C- can I do that? Uh, can I do it for you guys? So it's uh, going to be on the screens, and it's also page 952. If you have a Bible underneath your seat, it's going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 5. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of time to get there and just give you uh, a little bit of context. It's just so ridiculous. How did I miss that? So what happens uh, is Paul has been trying to talk about these divisions that are in the church in Corinth. And he talked about how uh, you shouldn't worship me or Paul or Apollos or Philos. You should follow Jesus. And he's gone to these few different places and he's talked about wisdom. And then he picks up this thought in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Let's read the whole thing top to bottom. Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not, proclaim, uh, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Uh, I'd love to pray for us, and then uh, we'll talk about how I I just can't, can't see what Paul's getting at here. So if you'd pray with me. Uh, Father, uh, help me uh, speak about something that I, I, I don't understand well. I don't practice it well. Um, I don't, um, I just don't get it really. Um, and I think many of us also are in that same kind of boat. So would you, would you speak? Uh, I don't want it to be my words. I, I want it to be yours. Um, we love you a lot. So would you uh, uh, just ease our hearts and ease our minds to hear what you would tell us? Uh, we want to hear you. Um, in your very precious name, Amen. So when Paul says, uh, uh, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, the reason why I I struggle with that is my whole entire life is given to making sure that I have lofty speech and wisdom. Um, Here's a really great example. Uh, As the youth director, um, I'm totally responsible for everything that happens on Wednesday nights in our Uprising Youth Program. And uh, I have a vision for what it looks like. And uh, here's what I mean by that. When a student walks in for the very first time, or in general, I have seven seconds to tell them that it's a safe place and environment for them. Um, it's kind of like when you've walked into um, a restaurant that you've never been to before. Do you know how you like look at everything and you kind of get like your thoughts on the place really fast? Does that make sense to you? It's the same exact principle. Uh, it's, it, in hospitality research, you have about seven seconds before someone decides that they like a place or not. So a student walks in and I have seven seconds to like woo them. Like I have seven seconds to be like, hi, this is my name. Who are you? Handshakes, high fives, the whole, the whole nine yards. Um, if we don't greet a student in seven seconds, I'm upset about that um, because that's something that we should really do. Um, we we want to be welcoming and kind here, um, whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's Wednesday, it's any other time. The reason we have door greeters everywhere is we want people that know your name uh, because who, like everyone likes it when someone calls them by their name or gives them a handshake. So that's uh, one of the first things that happens. And then before we start worship, which is about 45 minutes into our program, we have to break two 
uh, two barriers. There's the physical barrier, and then there's the emotional barrier. The physical one is this. You won't decide if a place is safe um, until there's a good, healthy touch, uh, physical touch. And here's what I mean by that. If you walk into a room and everyone's crossing their arms, looks a little stern, you're like, dang, that person's angry, right? We've all seen that before. If everyone's doing that, you're like, dang, they're all angry at me. Like you, you know really quickly if an environment is safe or not. So if when students walk in, if you can give them fist bumps, high fives, I have this thing where I say skin it. It's like a low five, but different. It's a weird youth pastor thing. Don't ask about it. So um, yeah, all these different physical touches, all these different things will play games where students have to interact with another because we want to let them know this is a safe place physically. You are safe here. And then the next thing we do is try to bake, uh, break, bake it. That'd be really funny. We throw it in the oven. No, um, so, um, so we try to uh, break the emotional barrier. The best way to do this is by making them laugh or making them cry. I don't know about you, but crying is awful. Uh, I do everything I can to never do it. Uh, so we make them laugh. So uh, we uh, tell funny jokes, we play funny games, we watch these funny videos. Because if we go through both of those, what will happen um, is a student will feel that this is a safe environment, their guard won't be up, so that they can properly and adequately hear the gospel from my perspective. My life is given to lofty speech and wisdom. And so are many other churches. And, and that's not wrong or that's not bad. But when Paul says this, I'm like, really, Paul? Like, are, are, are you sure? And when I think about other places in, in my faith, um, I think that I need to apply wisdom or lofty speech or effort into all these other areas. And, and here's what I mean by that. Um, say that my wife and I get into an argument. One of my first thoughts was, if I prayed more, I wouldn't argue with her. Or, or what will happen is say um, if we're in like financial trouble, and this hasn't happened, so like don't think, you know, um, but, but as an example, if, if we're in that place, some people will think, man, well, if I gave more money to the church, God would bless me, and I'm not being blessed because I haven't done this. Do you kind of see what I'm getting at? That if I don't work hard and I don't put an effort in faith, God will not honor me. God will not give me what I want or what I need. Does that kind of make sense? Um, another really great idea is this. Um, sometimes I think that God's really far away from me, that I'll like be praying and reading my Bible and I feel like I'm talking to four walls and reading like a great novel. Like it's, like we talk about spending time with God like it's like grand, amazing thing. And I'm like, really? Like this isn't happening for me right now. I think if I do it more, if I put in more effort and more work, then God must speak to me more. Um, meaning that if I work hard, I can earn something with my faith. Um, and although all those things are true, and, and probably right, if you did spend more time with God, you would probably hear his voice more. But I, I think it's one of those things that we care more about the effort than about what God is doing. Does that kind of make sense? Um, essentially, it's this. When Paul says, I didn't come with lofty speech or wisdom, uh, he, he's saying, you know, I'm not gonna give you a bunch of religious activity so that you can think that God likes you more. I, I'm gladly gonna change the picture um, for you guys. And um, it's, it's weird because if you know Paul, he says in the very beginning, and when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. If you know who Paul is, he's probably one of the smartest dudes. I, I, I don't want to have an overstatement, but I'm convinced he's one of the smartest dudes on the planet at this time. Um, if not on the planet, at least in, in Greece. So um, his training, uh, he has the first five books of the Bible memorized. Um, whole entire thing, word for word. He's trained for 30 years to be uh, a Pharisee um, and uh, one commentary I read, and if you know what a commentary is, um, a really smart guy that knows the Bible really, really, really well wrote down how to understand that, that passage. That's what it means. Um, he, he says that Paul's probably in the top one to two percent um, of educational training at this time in the world. Essentially, Paul has his doctorate. 
Um, and I don't know about you, but people with their doctorates intimidate me. I'm like, dang, you're really smart, uh, and I'm not. So like, I'm just gonna like, if any of you have your doctorates, I really wanna know about it. It's the most interesting in the world to me, actually. Um, but but it's, it's intimidating for a lot of people. And, and Paul doesn't have his doctorate in like physics or in chemistry or in history. He has it in teaching people about the Bible and convincing people his viewpoint is the right one. Um, so when Paul says that I came to give you basically a crummy message so that you only know it's about Jesus, you're like, huh, Paul doesn't normally do that. If you look back the past few chapters, Paul actually did the exact opposite wherever he went. But I, I think here was part of the problem. Starting in Acts 15 through 18, that's where uh, Paul first teaches in Corinth. Wherever he goes, essentially a riot breaks out and he almost dies. Imagine if wherever I go, there's riots and then people try to kill me. Like, like imagine that. Like imagine I show up and they're like, kill him. And you're like, no, like that's, that's what happens. When Paul teaches, there's this one time where he uh, gets stoned. And what that means is they're like, we think that you're a heretic, which means you're not teaching the truth. They bring them outside the city, pick up rocks and throw, that, throw them at him until he dies. Whenever Paul shows up, they do that to him. I can imagine he's like, wait, 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 wait. Is this a good way to do it? Like I can imagine Paul's like, when I show up, they try to kill me. I, I don't want to die. I should probably do something different. Like I can imagine he's like walking through it that, that way. Like, like me, it's not working this way. But I, I think even also on a, on a lower level, as Paul is navigating these different things, is the way that I'm teaching people working, he also knows something about Corinth. Um, he, he also knows something um, about their culture and about their situation uh, that is really helpful for us to know. Um, what happens uh, in Corinth uh, is it's a very... Um, it's kind of like land of the opportunity for people at this time. So what happens is if uh, you're a freed slave, you would go to Corinth to have a new start. Um, if you were um, a Roman who was kind of like broke at the time, you can go to Corinth and have a new start. People would go there to better themselves. And it was also an unbelievably competitive city. Uh, they had these things called the, I tried so hard, the, ith, the isthmus, you need a lisp to do it and I can't do it. It's the isthmus games. I'm sorry, like I just can't get it out. Uh, but what happens every 50 years, uh, they would have basically uh, the Olympics, but a little bit smaller uh, every 50 years. And they happened in Corinth. So Corinth is an unbelievably competitive city. People love it. They have this big pride for their city. Uh, and what happened is uh, speakers would come and if they gave a great message, they would be worshiped. Um, if they gave uh, an enjoyable message where everybody laughed, everybody felt emotional, everybody had a moment and it was wonderful, they would follow that person. But here's the problem. They cared more about what they felt in the message than the content of it. Um, so I can come and I can make everybody laugh. I can tell funny stories like Matilda. I can tell all these different things. And you'll think, wow, that was a great message. But then if someone goes, hey, what did you learn? And you're like, dang, I don't really remember Paul's calling that action out. He's saying, I came not to be worshiped. So I intentionally gave a terrible message. So you know that it's only Jesus that can save you. It's not my words. It's not anybody else's words. Nothing can save you other than Jesus. Which is great. In uh, verse two, I, I wanna read it. I think something really cool happens. Um, he says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, I wanna talk about the Christ portion and the crucified portion. Joe spent a lot of time talking about that Christ part. You know, like uh, Christ is not Jesus's last name. It's not like Jack Hine. It's like Jesus, comma, the 
Christ. It's a title given to him. Uh, and it means the anointed one, which is very churchy for saying this. Jesus is the one that can save you. Um, again, Joe spoke a really long time that money can't save you. Uh, relationships can't save you. He went through all of these different things. The only thing that can save you is Jesus. That's what the Christ means, the anointed one who can save you. And now the, the next part, the, the crucified part, the crucifixion part um, is really helpful for us. Um, essentially what happens when Jesus dies on the cross, it changes everything. And here's what I mean by that. If I were to die on a cross, you'd be like, huh, that stinks. Like, 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 like my mom and my wife would be upset. Like after that, like you'd all get it like over in like a few months and you'd be like, wow, like that was intense. Like, like he started saying weird stuff and they like put him on this big beam thing. Like it was nuts. But like when Jesus says, we're still talking about it 2000 years later, for some reason, the cross deeply matters to us. Um, and I think it's because of this, because uh, Jesus is the one that can save us. I, I can't. Um, and, and I want to point out something that's, uh, it's helpful for me. It says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It, it doesn't say Jesus Christ and him crucified and Jack's good youth ministry vision. It doesn't say Jesus Christ and Jack working hard enough, Jack praying enough, you working hard enough, you praying enough, you giving enough money to rent. Like it's, it's not about that. It's just what Jesus has done. It says nothing about what you do. And that gives me great joy and great hope because do you know what? I, I mess up all the time. Um, if, uh, if I can lose my salvation, I would have already. Um, you know, um, it's, it's about what Jesus has done, not what we have done. Um, so I, I wanna say two really quick things about that. Uh, stop trying to earn it with your lofty speech and wisdom. Stop, stop trying to work hard enough for it. Um, many of us think we need to earn something that God would care for us more, that if I uh, pray more, maybe my, um, you know, maybe my relatives would get saved. If I uh, do this, maybe they'll come to church. If I do that, we, th we think this, like, this very much, if I work hard enough, I can earn something. I, and, and it's just what Jesus has done. So stop trying to earn it. Um, and, and maybe here's what I mean by that. Give grace for yourself. Um, I don't want to give you all permission to be like, don't earn it. I'm going to do whatever I want now. It's, 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 not, it's not that. Um, when I say stop trying, I mean, give grace for yourself. When you mess up, it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has already done. Um, and then probably here's something maybe a little more poignantly. Um, maybe start trying about the things that matter. Um, reminding yourself that it's just Jesus that saves you. It's just Jesus that can heal you. It's not your good efforts. It's not your good work. It's just Jesus. Um, has anybody ever been on a tightrope before? That's a very crazy question. Has anybody ever seen someone on a tightrope before? <laughs> um, so, so for me, the way I think about it is there's this like weird tightrope outside thing called slacklining, which it, dumb people like me, rock climbers do. And so you basically, you, uh, we'll use the tightrope part. So uh, what happens when you're on a tightrope? When you first get on it, uh, when you're learning how to do it, they tell you to not look at your feet because when you look at your feet, you actually throw off your balance and fall. Um, so uh, essentially, if you look down at the mistake you're about to make, it's more likely to happen. Um, you're more likely to beat yourself up for it. You're more likely to struggle in it. But if you look straight ahead on the tightrope or on the slack line, you're actually more likely to have balance and go farther, um, which is very counterintuitive for us. Like I would think like I have to look down, but if I look straight ahead, I go farther. Um, and, and here's why I share all of that. Um, 
I think many of us in trying to earn it are looking at our feet. Many of us trying to earn it, what we're doing is we're thinking about the places that we're gonna screw up and how we're gonna screw up and the problems. And man, I wanna love Jesus more, but I, I, I can't do it because of these reasons. If we just looked at Jesus, we would actually get much farther. If, if we uh, started celebrating who Jesus was as the only picture we looked to, we started focusing on him, I can imagine our faith would go much further than not. Um, so start focusing on the things I don't say that matter, but on Jesus. Let's, let's keep reading. Uh, I want to read verses uh, three through five. Um, it says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Here's why I share that Matilda story. When I read this, uh, I really struggle with this aspect of it. And here's why. There are two jobs that I see. And it's not that Paul's like, there's God's job in there. It's, 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 it's a little more uh, rounded than that. But there are two jobs in this portion. There's God's job, and then there's our job. Our, our, our job. God's job is to heal people and to save people. That, that, that's his job. Um, that's not my job. And, and, and when I read this passage, I, I, sh I struggle with that because for me, I very much try to take control um, and try to take God's job. I, I try, I don't want to be God. I think maybe it's like a trust thing. Maybe it's a control thing, but I, I often get in the way of God's job. And his job is this. It's just to heal people and to save people. He's the person that changes our hearts and he's the person that changes our actions and, and, and all of it. He's the person that can actually fix the problems in our life. I, I can't. So if I can call out some people, um, and, and this is going to be the harshest part of the message, and um, I, I want to say sorry, not sorry um, for it, but, but parents in, in the room, um, you work very hard for your kids, and this is not to discredit that, but trust God with your kids. Um, they may have actions that you disagree with. They may be, uh, you might be uh, staying up late at night because you're unsure of what will happen. Trust that God has the best interest for your children. Um, pray for them. Um, you can care for them. This is not to throw away the boundaries, but when they make an action uh, that drives you up a wall, uh, because I know sometimes uh, your children do actions that drive you up a wall, trust that God has them. Uh, trust, trust him. Uh, for the elders in the room. And here's what I mean by elders. There are some people that are like, the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. There are some people that are like, it's going, like, like, pa like pack it in, it's going down. Like I've, I've met some of those people, it's awesome. I think it's so funny. But there are people that are like, the way I grew up is so different from the way that you guys grew up, this is what they're saying, that I think the world's gonna die. Like, like they just, there's this mentality in it that everything's not gonna work. If, if I can say something to you as well, have faith, trust, that God has this best, this, huh, has this next generation in mind. Um, he, um, I, I don't say this to bash people older than me, but I, I never had a mentor growing up. Th there were people that walked with me and I had a great youth pastor, but there was nobody that was like point A to point B helping me in my life. I think if I can uh, stand here as somebody of the next rising generation of leaders, um, if I can say trust that God has it in mind um, and I can stand here and say that, I, I think I can have faith that he will trust that God has the next generation in mind, that he'll raise up people that are capable of loving him well. And yes, it might look different. Yes, we need your help. 
gosh, I need your help. Um, but, but here's what I know. Uh, trust him to do that. And if I may call out one last group of people, um, for the single people in the room, I know Joe talked about this last week, but I think it's such a good message to hear again and again. If you are single, let God meet your needs. Um, nobody else can. Um, not a relationship, not money, not a job, not friends. The only person that can meet your needs is Jesus, because that's his job. It's not anybody else's job. It's not my job. It's not your sentiment, other's job. The only person who can meet all of your needs, the only person that can change you and save you is Jesus. That's his job. So what's our job then? For the overly practical people in the room, you're like, so what, what, do, I, what, do, I, what do I have to do now? Because <laughs> that's his job. That's my job. That's the job I've been doing. What, what, should, I do, what should I do now? And um, y- y- your job um, is what Paul does. He is faithful to preaching the gospel. Um, but that's not helpful because that's still very vague and open. Uh, I want to give you four quick, simple things to try to understand that. Um, if your job, if our job is to preach the gospel, here's the very first thing that you need to do. The very first thing, you need to look for opportunities to share it. Um, I don't know if you're like me, um, but I, when I get really excited about things, I'm like all gas and no brakes. So someone's like, preach the gospel. I'm like, let's find everybody. And like, I'm like running out of the church, finding people I don't know. Like in my mind, when I go on vacation, I'm like, who can I share the gospel to? Like if it comes up and it's like, actually, although that's great, nothing is wrong with that. I can't help that person after I leave. They're on their own after that. So when you look for opportunities, who's in your uh, family or who's a friend that you have that does not know about Jesus? Um, That's the person you need to tell because you can invite them with you wherever you go. Um, You you can bring them along with you here to another place. You're at least gonna see them again. Um, This isn't to undermine telling people about Jesus that you don't know. Please do that if you feel God's calling you to do that. But the best people that need to hear about Uh, The good news of Jesus are the people that you already know, your friends and your family. Um, So look for opportunities. The the next one, I guess number two, is this. Try to conceptualize it for them. And that's very nerdy for saying this. There's church lingo that no one understands. Uh, I I remember I had a friend. I I grew up in church. I brought them to youth group. And uh, my youth pastor shared a message. And he's like, okay, so there's a lamb. And it's really bloody. And for some reason, we drink that. And I was like, no. (laughs) No. Very symbolic, a very symbolic action. And he's like, well, why, why get, why? like for him, he was like, just tell me what it is, not all, all the symbols with it. Um, and, and here's what he was trying to say. I don't understand what you're saying. So, so try to speak their language. Um, and, and here's the thing, that's kind of difficult sometimes because if, if you grew up in church, it's very easy to say things that people don't understand. Um, here's what I would do. I would share uh, with them. And then if they have any questions, answer them. Um, don't share it and like run off. Um, tr- try to do the less is more uh, kind of idea, but try to speak their language. Usually this doesn't happen uh, over one dinner conversation. You're gonna have to come back with them again and again and again. But remember, if this is a friend or a family member, you're gonna see them again. Um, you don't have to give them everything all at once. You can just be like, Jesus is important. He, we actually value him highly, you know? That, that'd be a great place to start. Um, here's the third part. Um, and this part is very um, k- kind of spooky and scary for a lot of us. Um, you have to be brave enough to do it. Um, to stand up for Jesus, uh, to share the good news uh, 
of his death and resurrection with others. I remember when I was in middle school, um, I, uh, I gave my life to Jesus. Or I, I grew up in church. I don't really know when it happened, but there's a moment where I was like, I'm all in for this. And I started bringing my Bible to study hall and reading it. Um, and I, for some reason, this is a weird middle school brain. Also, as you can tell, I'm oblivious of a lot of things. I thought no one would notice. Uh, so uh, what happens is uh, there's this friend of mine. His name is Ted Skeen, and he points at the Bible, and he says, what are you reading? And I go, uh, because I didn't think anybody would notice. The Bible? And uh, he said, if you read that around me, I will not be your friend because I do not stand for that. And I was like, ooh, I, I have a lot of questions about this thing and I don't really know a lot, but I, I think it's true. I'm, I'm really sorry about that. And he said, well, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. And he walked away. Um, and, and it wasn't like we were hostile towards each other. It wasn't like we were mean or we were angry with one another. But, but what I mean by that is I had a friend that I no, no longer had. Um, but here's what I know standing up for Jesus in that moment. Um, being brave enough to do it. Um, when I graduated high school, him and all of his friends that did not love Jesus, they looked at me and said, Christians are weird. And I was like, yes. <laughs> but he also said, but you were really nice to us. And that was it. That was it. He, here's what I know. If he, he had an opportunity to see that Christians were actually nice to people. He had this thought that they were all hypocrites. Or all, I mean, I don't, I don't know his whole story, but what I know is for some reason, standing up for Jesus was worth it in that moment. Um, it was so very worth it. So sometimes you just need to be brave enough to do it. And if you're unsure of how to do that, you can talk to me. Um, I have an open door to my office. I would love to talk to you about being brave enough to do it if you feel called to do that. And here's the very last thing. You need to know it. Um, this is the fourth thing. And, and here's what I mean by uh, know it. Um, many of us don't like to share about things we like or to share about Jesus because we're just unsure of how to do it well. Um, here's the best way to share about Jesus. Talk about the hope that you've had. Because here's what I know. I was lost, uh, but then I was found. I was blind, but then I can see. Jesus changed my life. Um, I, I used to not like myself a lot, but now I do even just a little bit more. Um, but I know for many people in the room, your stories are far more, I won't say dramatic than mine, but moving and powerful. Um, there were some people uh, in this room that were like, I was, you know, an absolute wreck. And I found Jesus and my life changed. Talk about the hope you have. Because I, I know that it gives me so much that one day everything will be better. In my life, it has been better. That I'm capable of loving people and caring for them and hearing their stories. I could not do that without Jesus. So talk about the hope that you have. Because I, I hope that you do. I hope that you do have hope with Jesus. So, so you got to know the hope that you have. And... Um, some of you are probably thinking, Jack, this is my first week here and I'm unsure about all of this. What am I supposed to do? What, what about the person that's only been here for, for two weeks or three weeks or the person that's just not, not bold enough to do it? What, what about if, if I don't know how, how to do that? He, here's what I know. You only need to be one day ahead of somebody to teach them something. You only need to be one day ahead of somebody. And, and it could be, don't do what I did. It, it could be this one thing kind of worked. I, I, I don't know, but you only need to be one day ahead of somebody to teach them about your faith. You only be one day ahead of somebody. And I hope we don't miss this. Because we, I, I try so often to earn my faith and to earn God to love me more, but it's just what Jesus has done. Nothing can save me except Jesus. I hope we don't miss it. I hope we can begin to get a perspective to see this, that I don't need to work any harder. I just need to keep my eyes focused on Jesus. Um, I have one very last thought um, 
when, uh, when Paul talks, he, he compares the wisdom of men uh, to the power of God. And um, here's very much what I mean. I think there's a philosophy of Christianity and then the power of God. And they go hand in hand, but um, you need both. Many of us in the room, uh, we may have grown up going to church. We may have grown up uh, in faith. We may have grown up in all these different things, but uh, we're still living in the philosophy of Christianity portion. Maybe not the power of God portion. And, and here's what I mean by that. I'll, a very short story quickly. I remember when I was in high school, I watched Super Size Me. Anybody remember that? Super Size Me. And uh, we watched the whole thing one class and we ended and uh, my teacher was like, do any of you want to eat McDonald's ever again? And I was like, yes, I'm hungry. I was like, that looks so good. But I knew, I, I knew, I knew that McDonald's may not have been the best thing for me if I eat it every day. Um, I understood the philosophy, but I didn't have the power to stop. Many of us have grown up in, in the philosophy portion. I go to church and I read my Bible and I pray every now and then. And, you know, I'm kind of kind to people and, you know, I, I, I do the Christian-y things, but, but I, I've never felt the power of God before. Here's what you want to do if you want that power of God recognize that Jesus is the only thing that can save you. He is the only way. Not wisdom, not working hard enough, not a good youth ministry vision. He's the way. He's the only way. We're, we're going to go into a time of worship, and um, you, usually uh, we make it seem like it's, it's a surprise. Like, now the band's going to come up, but um, we're going to go into uh, a time of worship, and all that is is telling God and Jesus how great we think he is. Um, that is a great opportunity to trust that it's only Jesus, because we, we will sing things that he is good to us, and he cares for us, and he's the only way. And we sang before that he makes us brave to follow him, and all of these different things. It's a great time to um, give uh, God that thought that you are the only thing that can save me. you want to pray in that moment, please do. Um, if you're unsure how to pray or you don't know how to, or you don't even like to, but you know that God's speaking to you as I've been speaking, something's been resonating inside of you. It's been like a yes, or it's been like a no, um, because you, you're feeling a little convicted that, that something in your life needs to change. You can go out those doors and take um, a right. There are people scheduled to pray with you, um, to pray on behalf of you, actually. Um, sometimes we don't know how to pray. We just know that we need it. Those are the best per people. Um, yeah. What I'd love to do is pray for you, um, and then we'll go back into that time of worship. Uh, if you'd pray with me. Uh, Father, thank you so much for everybody here. Um, thank you that you are the only way. That I, I know in my life I've tried again and again and again, Father. I know that I've tried to, to fix people and change people and uh, take your job away, but um, I'm giving it back to you today. I'm giving you back your job to to heal people, to change people, to save people. And I, I'm going to try to pick up mine. And that's just to be faithful to who you are and to um, try my best to tell people about you. Um, God, I, I know that it's hard to trust you in this way. I ask that you change our hearts. Um, uh, God, I, I can't tell people what to do, but you can change us. Um, so Father, I ask that you speak to us, that you change us, that you move in the room. Um, Spirit, you can, uh, you can have your way. You can tug on our hearts. You can change us. Yeah, we love you. Um, help us to, to love you more, to honor you more, to care for you more, um, and, and to recognize you, you are the only way.
we, yeah, we love you. In your very precious name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together, we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, please go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves him.